Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. I'm real glad you've decided to tune in. Those of you that are sticking around from the Jeff Bradley Show, thank you so much. We're happy that you're with us. It's a fine little July 13th today, and uh, we've got a couple hours to spend here live with you. I think um, we're going to talk a little bit about economics, a little bit about real estate. We're going to try to tie the two together. And then uh, in the middle hour here, we're going to be joined by um, a local realtor and investment property specialist. So that ought to be a pretty good time. I'm looking forward to that. And Dan, you seem rushed and perhaps frazzled today. What's up? (laughs) Well... I left all of my notes, all of my notes and articles. You know me. I come in prepared. No. This is the first time you've done this in five years. I've noticed we don't have the clipped articles, the very neatly clipped, stacked articles in front of me right now. Yeah. I just noticed that. I know. I'm pretty upset about it. I forgot the laptop one time, and that was a pretty terrifying feeling to sit down in here. You do at least have uh, your laptop in front of you so you can – I do. Look up the things that but I you spent. Want oh, I woke up early this morning. I spent all this time preparing, and in my rush to get out of the house, let put the dogs out, Kiss feed the, the baby. You know, all these things that have to be done, and grabbing articles was the one thing that fell through the cracks. So it's all right. You'll be fine. I can wing it. I think I've done this long enough. I can do it. If not, I'm sure I can carry you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanted to. Um, Take a quick second here and um, share with you guys a pretty awesome experience I had this last week. I went to the new Vina Robles Amphitheater and saw – I actually got to see two concerts there. Awesome. How I saw it? Yes on Saturday night. Yeah. That was pretty cool. That was actually really cool. Cool. Um I, of course, knew a couple of the more popular Yes songs, but have to admit I never owned one of the albums. It was I was kind of going with a group of friends, and it was really exciting. Um, but more importantly, the venue up there is absolutely amazing. It's gorgeous. It's in the kind of in the Paso Robles wine country, and you just it has the most remarkable views and. It's the perfect setting for something like that on the Central Coast. I've driven by it, and I really, really cool. want to go see it. Yeah, really cool. And um, the staff and everybody, I mean, that was like their first concert of the series, the summer series, and uh, everybody knew what they were doing, and it was really just a great time. It, sounded, it reminds me of like the Santa Barbara Bowl, but you don't have to feel like you're walking uphill and walking uphill yeah. every time. Santa Barbara Bowl around. is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, the hiking of the hill in and out of there is a little bit annoying, I think, especially when there's a big crowd and you're barely able to walk. Uh, but so I was leaving. Yes. And 
so one of the people that worked there caught us and gave us free tickets to the Tuesday night uh, Bruce Hornsby and Railroad Earth show. Awesome. And that was yeah. their first show of a pretty good tour they're doing. So we got to see two concerts. It was pretty epic. Awesome. Um, on both of those nights, uh, part of the reason why I'm bringing this up is I want to get the word out that this place is remarkable. But on both of those nights, attendance was probably a third of what it should have been. Mm-hmm. And so um, people need to go and check that out. The, I think it'd be fun. Buy some tickets, go support them. It's well worth it. Their music lineup for um, the first year is it's really impressive. I've I, seen Bonnie, I just can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, Moody Blues, Bonnie Raitt, I know are coming up. Leonard Lots Skinner, B.B. Yeah. King. I mean, there's a there's a good long list of people. So anyway, they didn't pay me or anything. I just I'm I'm just kind of smitten. Just by, a fan, yeah. <laughs> just I, a new fan. Free tickets. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple. They, they saw you. Yeah, they knew you were a local radio celebrity. They're like, oh, we got to give Grody. him there's some tickets. Jason Grody. Oh my god. <laughs> hey, maybe they heard but. you talking through the whole show and they recognized the voice. When people ask me. <laughs> About the Central Coast, I can't say enough good things about it. The only couple of things that I think are I would love to see would be a professional baseball team. I think that'd be great. I don't. I guess we don't have enough people to support it. Boo. Yeah. Not uh, if a quarter of our county came to every game, that would be like enough, kind of. Anyway, international airport, but we don't want those big planes here, so we make do with the little airport we got. And then a music venue that is more than just the fair, and Vina Robles is that's where it's at, man. That's a cool spot. So I'm I'm really happy about it. I don't sense you guys are as happy as I, but no, I I think it's going to be awesome. All right, we'll go buy some tickets and go see I a show go there. See a show, yeah. Why are you laughing at me? I just think it's funny. Why? I don't know. You're just you're so enthusiastic. I I loved it, man. I thought it was so good. It's all new and the sound is amazing. I've seen the this backdrop. before with you. You something new and you get really enthusiastic and then maybe the enthusiasm wanes. Of course it does. Of course it does. I'm it's... trying to see if this is true enthusiasm that will be long lasting or if um if they keep up a good <clears throat> list of of bands and musicians playing there, you can bet that I'll I'll be a regular. It is a cool venue. I've seen it driving driving down the highway. And in fact, they have a <clears throat> uh, a deal. I was going to talk to you about this, but since we're sitting, <laughs> <laughs> you can buy a little table that's like your own private thing that's there for every show to take your clients and guests and stuff. Now, do they throw in a nice bottle of wine with that? Uh, no, but there's cocktail servers that will go get you wine if you want. I'm not a very big wine drinker, but one of the people in our group was able to order like a bottle of wine that came like with the glass and a craft. So you're thinking this could be a company expense? Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> Air quotes. Yeah, he did a little yeah. interview out that's there. What I was <laughs> we'll bring. This is why I'm and... the company controller. <laughs> yeah. I don't even have the checkbook. <laughs> We'd have some cool stuff if we did. If I did, though. <laughs> Oh, good times. All right. Well, let's move on to something hardier than that. <laughs> did you get did you get the text photos of the I did. articles that I you now have about? I have my notes on my phone now. All right. Well, I can uh 
I can refresh your memory about some of it too. Um, one of the so basically, what did you see this week? Uh, stuck out to me the the Dow hit like another well the all time high, I guess I should say, and and again I heard people. I heard a few times this week, Dan, I heard a couple things, and I so I wanted to ask you about this. So first of all, should the Dow be the highest that it's ever been before this week? <laughs> um, I mean, based on all this flooding of money going into the system, sure. Yeah, the market loves that. Yeah, so, and then when there was some strong economic economic data that led us to believe that it might result in the stimulus drying up the dow began suffering and that was just a short couple of weeks ago right because the <clears throat> the financial markets are addicted to federal stimulus and that's that was the big news of the week and that's going to continue to be the big news is what is the Fed doing? What's their plan? When are they going to stop spending as much money buying bonds and treasuries? When are they going to change interest rates? Um, you know that that's what is really moving the, these markets right now. And so, if if we had such a sell off in the bond market like we did, where we just we had a worsening by about a point, some of the most dramatic movement that we've seen in a six or seven week period of time, maybe ever, um, just on the speculation that they may stop, what's going to happen to these markets when they do stop? Where are you expecting the Dow to go down by thousands of points? I don't know about that, but I, I do think it will, it will stop. We'll stop seeing triple digit gains. It's probably going to go down. I saw this week um, on uh, one of the financial shows that the Dow is projected to hit 17,000 by the end of the year. No. Yeah. That's I don't what see they're that. saying. No. I don't see that. If the stimulus hangs on, is it not possible? I mean, we saw a 12-month increase in the Dow from the Anything's first possible. of the year to June. Anything's possible, but I don't think it's realistic to believe that that will happen. I think you've got... You've got an economy here where we've been supported now for four years or more, five years, by the government, by the federal government. They've done everything from offering financial incentives to buy cars or buy homes, you know, offering these incentives to consumers. They've pumped money into banks. They've pumped money into the auto industry. They've pumped money into insurance companies to make everything continue to work when – it really wanted to just crash down. Things are starting to get better, but even the Fed chairman himself came out this week and said, yeah, the unemployment rate's improving, and, and we're definitely seeing improvement from last year and from previous years, but it's not as great as this 7.6% unemployment number might suggest. And that's not even a great number. Right. You know, We want that unemployment rate to be closer to 5%. It's made its way from, you know pretty high was it was above 10 percent, right yeah. um down to 7.6 so we've made some major headway a lot of people who are out of work have gotten back into work but there's still four million people out of work um that are on either the long-term unemployment um or they're on the the extended benefits which don't get counted in the long-term numbers anyways it, it ends up being like four 
or four and a half million people that are still out of work. So that's what he was citing today. And, you know, we have a, a gentleman who listens to the show and calls in a lot, Carl from Shell Beach. He always reminds us of this U6 unemployment number. That's the real unemployment number. That's where not only the number of people who aren't working, but it's it's also counting the number of people who are working below their skill level or less than full time. Those are all the people that are marginally attached. Right. And the, that number went up. It went up by a half a Half more a than percent. A, I think more than a percent. 13. It went from mid-13s to mid-14s right. or, or low-14s just month over month at the most recent reading. So that's really what's going on in unemployment. Well, um, and you saw the data just from Thursday. Um, this initial jobless claims comes out every Thursday. It's up 4.7% this week. It was expecting a slight decline is what people were talking about. Uh, we saw 360,000 people this week apply for initial jobless claim benefit, and that's that's a bummer. I mean, all in all, I saw, for whatever reason, people are wanting to soften when we have kind of bad news. They say, well, we're, we're still well below that 400,000 mark where – um, you know, above that, you can't argue we're in an improving environment. So. Yeah, but we were at 400,000 jobless claims per week two years ago. So yeah. in 24 months, we've improved that number by about 10%. And the people who are getting underemployment aren't going out and applying for jobless claims. So, yeah, that number's come down a little bit to a marginally acceptable level, but the people who are falling off of that number are getting jobs that really aren't those great high wage earning, you know, head of household jobs. They're they're low lower skilled, lower paid, not amazing jobs. So that's kind of the the story that the Fed chairman's trying to depict to everyone here and especially to the markets that have overreacted about their last statement. I for now, two weeks in a row, I've I finally have regained my sanity a little bit because after that June meeting, when the Fed chairman spoke and the markets reacted pretty wildly, I started to wonder if I knew what I was talking about. I really did. <laughs> you know, I, I started to doubt myself because I, I sat there. You and I sat in the same room. We listened to the words coming out of Bernanke's mouth. We thought that it was news that would support low rates for yeah. up longer, and it just totally backfired, and I thought it was me. Um, but it, you know, they've come out in the last two weeks and really made an effort to calm the markets and let them know that hey, we need these low interest rates. The only reason that we're seeing some positive movement from horrible levels to mildly acceptable levels in all facets of the economy is because of monetary stimulus. And so that's that's what he came out and said is that. The markets need it, and we're going to keep doing it for the foreseeable future until really unemployment, that, that's the key thing, until that shows a, an ability to sustain improvement on its own. Last Friday on July 5th, the 10-year yield hit 2.75, and I we weren't working on Friday, but I'm kind of addicted to this stuff, so I you know, just open up, start looking through it, and I, I literally um, – I had a, a weird feeling about when I saw it. I kind of laughed, but it wasn't the kind of laugh like that's funny. I kind of laughed like um, we're in so much trouble kind of feeling, you know. And then after this week where uh, 
we we kind of I feel like we did get a little bit of a dose of sobriety on a couple fronts. I mean, at number one, we saw one of the first upticks in initial jobless claims that we've seen in a few weeks. We did. We heard Bernanke come out and try to say, "Hey, you guys, settle down. It's not as good as you're making it feel right now." Though we're adding some jobs and heading in the right direction, the jobs suck. They're not good jobs. They're, you know, we need to work harder at this. Additionally, consumer confidence came out this week, and um, consumer confidence was expected to increase ever so slightly. Um, U.S. consumer uh, confidence slipped, and analysts were pretty surprised by it. Um, one of the main reasons for the for the curbing sentiment reasons here. Uh, rising interest rates. People are paying attention to that. And, um, you know, one of the statements that I heard from a, let's see, U.S. chief U.S. economist wrote, um, we expect confidence to start moving up again as bond yields stop surging. The equity market reaches new highs and the labor market continues to recover. And I think, really? I don't think the average person gives two shakes about bond yields or knows that they're surging right now. Um, I really don't think they do. It's a pretty select group of people that understand that. So if you dumb down his statement, people are caught up on increasing interest rates. And they're looking at this going, hey, well, what? Um, Why are we all of a sudden interest rates are going up like crazy? And that's something that people on a whole can relate to. as you know, we, we got into uh, kind of a home buyer fever again in the last year here um, where if you didn't own a home, you kind of have to sit down and really consider why and like try to map a plan to get one because um, it's a good time now to be buying again. And almost as soon as we started to have um, that market overheat a little bit, all of a sudden interest rates threaten it. And I, people are catching on to that. The other thing, of course, is gas. And flooding the headlines this week, gas is up quite a bit and expected um, about 10% and expected to reach as high as 450 a gallon in parts of the U.S. and an average rate probably of 425 a gallon. Um, that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, I mean, it, it usually suggests that the economy is poised for growth and um, these kinds of things. But um, another little tidbit that came out this week um, that was maybe on the the better news side was that we actually saw a little bit of inflation. But it turns out that the um, – as I'm talking wholesale inflation, the producer price index inflation, um, that increased 0.8% for the month of June – um, which is good. I mean, they, they're calling it the biggest annual increase, increase since March of 2012. And generally, we we don't want inflation. As like a consumer, you kind of go, eh, I'm not excited about things getting more expensive for me. It's a really critical part of capitalism that we do have an increasing cost of goods at a controllable level. Um, with high unemployment, which we've had for an extended period of time, we must create inflation or else we suffer deflation and have a host of new troubles. So while that was some good news to see a little wholesale inflation, um, it's tied so closely to gas prices. And that, you know, isn't isn't exactly what we want to see the inflation being based on. So in this week, 
the ten year, like I said on July fifth, it, it hit two point seven five, which was um, for me laughable. And we closed out this week at two point five eight. So it seems like some of that news actually functioned the way that it should, um, knocking back the yields on the bonds a little bit, and um, you know the stock market picking up this week i still don't i can't answer completely why that is except for it seems like we're gonna have more stimulus for longer that's and it i think that's it it but which by the way i think is terrifying absolutely terrifying i feel like we should be glad that the stimulus is is helping prop us up when we otherwise may be falling down but you should not be experiencing gains that you can you can actually visually see the feds say hey we may taper and the stock market goes sheds 500 points in 3 days and then they go not as soon as you think and the stock market shoots up over the course of the next 2 weeks so a net gain of another 200 points after recovering that 500 that in and of itself tells me that we need to be weaned from this it's going to be a very long road that's going to be very volatile, very hard to manage, and very confusing. And And I think we're just getting a taste of that right now. And I'm not excited about what that's going to mean to consumer confidence and, and each of these other volatile indices that, that we depend on every day. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a slow road to real recovery and um – there will be a weaning no matter what the fed people come out and say over the next weeks and months we're not going to hear them hear from them again until september so there will be a couple more unemployment reports that will come out between now and the next time they speak um do you wonder by the way if we're going to have a weaning I, like check this out <clears throat> I know we're not going to be able to buy $85 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities every month like we've been doing. Um, but the Fed has also, at the beginning of this, they sort of announced that they were going to be um, sort of a fill-in player in this market for a while. And at some point, they were going to figure out how to sort of unwind and absolve themselves of this new responsibility. Well, it since turns out that it's been a pretty profitable piece here for the Treasury's balance sheet. And... They've now begun talking that they're even one when they're done with the eighty-five billion, they intend to keep their portfolio intact and they intend to reinvest the payoffs and and dividends that they're getting from the investments and keep sort of putting money back in there. And this was one of the things that some Fed officials said to try to soften some of the tapering talk is hey, look, not only are we not gonna go from eighty-five billion a month to zero. But we're not likely to hit zero ever because we're going to have reinvestment of this portfolio turnover yeah, for but years to come. It could hit zero in the new new money allocated. New money out, sure. Yeah. They, but yeah, they're so they're in that they're going to be tapering. And they're going to be we, slowly exiting. But since we still don't know what we're doing with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, like at all, it, it it's funny it gets talked about, and lately I feel like it's been so profitable that it's been kind of backburnered. It was easy to attack Fannie Mae when they were needing um, $5 billion a, a quarter or whatever to stay afloat. And then suddenly Fannie Mae started paying some pretty healthy uh, dividends and getting well into the black, and that talk has kind of fallen away. 
uh, it's almost like we're happy to let that hang around for a while longer while it's making money. And and I'm all for that. I mean, altogether, the total investment is not yet into the black. But once it is, once we actually have been repaid every penny the taxpayer gave Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that and I fully expect that is going to happen probably in the next year or two. Uh, at that point. Uh, why? Maybe why get rid of them? Maybe maybe do figure out how to make them a public utility and keep participating in that uh, purchasing program with the assets that are generated by Fannie and Freddie. Yeah, we could do a whole month worth of shows on on the benefits, the pros and cons of Fannie and Freddie. I mean, I I think they that um, something like that needs to be in place for sure. That's that's the key to having long term fixed rate mortgages, but. Again, that's a whole other topic. Yeah, we don't have enough time. We only have an hour and a half to go today to get into that. Um, we should probably do a show about that at some point uh, in the near future, though. Hey, guys, it's uh, just before 1030, and I want to remind you that the, the sponsors that we run during our commercial breaks are um, folks that help make the show possible. They're local businesses that we use and believe in. We hope that you'll give them a shot, too. Um, When we get back from this first commercial break, we're going to be joined by our specialist, Mary McNally, who is going to come in and talk a little bit of real estate with us. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. So stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. Find out more in San Luis Obispo. Call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You wouldn't hike Mount Everest without a Sherpa, and you shouldn't endure the loan process without one either. At Central Coast Lending, we take the confusion, stress, and anxiety out of your loan transaction. Our experienced team of loan officers will serve as your guides, your experts, your mortgage Sherpas. Let the Central Coast Lending mortgage Sherpas lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Movie 
that's fantastic intro there. Hey, uh, I went and saw Yes last week, and I was pleasantly surprised how hard those dudes rock. But you know, it's not the lead singer anymore. They they got a new one, and yeah, John a, Anderson's a local guy. Though. Yeah, I guess I, as I understand, John Anderson lives here. Uh, in town, and I think one of the other members of the band lives here as well. That's pretty cool. I would live here if I was like rich and famous, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, that's I'm why I live here. Not rich, and I'm not <laughs> famous, rich and famous, so. <laughs> and I I chose to live here. <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, I teased you guys before the break that we're going to get a guest in here, and so you can you can relax a little. You're not just going to have to listen to me um, ramble on here. I brought in a guest today. We got Mary McNally joining us. And um, so, Mary, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. An honor to be asked. Yeah. So is this your uh, is this your radio debut? Well, uh, I used to do I used to have a public relations business. And so I've done some uh, uh, representation for different clients and also used to do actually a little bit of voiceover. In okay. The day. All right, so no, you are comfortable with She's a microphone a in front of you. I now suddenly I'm nervous. Now, in the presence I, of the stature of these two professionals, though. <laughs> oh, don't don't be fooled. We've managed to figure out how to bluff this thing well enough to get through our two hours after five years of this. But um, we're mortgage guys, not radio. Um, though this week, a member of our staff that that works on the marketing was preparing a behind-the-scenes video, behind-the-scenes of Mortgage Matters. And I must say it was kind of entertaining. Um, just maybe missed a little bit on the content and was catching too much of the funny stuff. I've heard the show's funny. We do try to have fun in here. Yeah. Well, I just try After to make... a long week of working, you know, you have to unwind a little bit. It's my goal to make Dan smile because he has such a beautiful smile. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, I'm just every time I can't see it, it worked again right there. It's still working. Well, and the best part about this is it is all fun. My my public relations business, we used to, I actually got to do. We represented the title sponsor of a NASCAR series and got to do automotive performance clients. Wow. And now I get to help people with real estate, and so um, the best part about it is. I get to have uh, I get to do stuff that I really enjoy and get sure. to work with people I really like. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that. How did you transition from public relations into real estate? Uh, that is an interesting story. It's uh, in uh, really the reason is I was living in Redondo Beach and I was uh, flying all over the country representing these uh, sponsors and I really wanted a dog and my <laughs> my landlord wouldn't let me have a dog and they raised the rent on me and I got angry enough that I went looking for a piece of property and um I didn't think that I could buy a piece of income property because in my mind, that was just for rich people. And uh, after about a year of looking and the market was taking off at that time, it I, I kind of backed into a situation where I bought a fourplex and it was the best thing that I ever did. What and year was that? That was 1998. Okay. And uh, it was after a year of putting multiple offers in. It was The market was rising kind of like it's doing now where there are multiple bids on different situations and um, – so after that, I started learning this a uh, lot about landlord-tenant law and how to find value in a property. And friends kept coming to me saying, I'd really like to do what you did. And I don't consider myself a salesperson. I consider myself kind of an information person and an advisor. And I try, try to help people get enough information that they can make good decisions. Because all the people that I work with are really bright people. They just want the information. Right. And, and so I kind of backed into real estate and that way. historically, it's been hard to separate the information from the salesmanship. I mean, I, that's been my experience. In fact, 
what you're saying, it's it's almost like hearing the way that I describe what we do because we I always tell people I really try to view myself just as a facilitator. I got the info. I know how to do this stuff. I can help you lay it out, but there's going to be a lot of interaction and, and work together on figuring out how to meet all of your objectives. And and that's kind of a one of the reasons that we decided it would be so easy to start a successful company because – uh, the loan officers that we knew and were familiar with weren't that way. They <laughs> they either didn't understand it well enough to explain it simply. They didn't care to explain it simply. They just wanted the next commission check. Um, or they uh, w- couldn't be found. You know, their assistant was doing things while they were on the golf course or something. And so... Right, and, and, and mortgages are kind of hard to understand. You can get a quote at the beginning of the process, and then when you go to close, it's all different, and the clients are often confused and they and a little bit fearful because sure. uh, they, they say, am I being taken advantage of? What are all these extra charges? And they don't know that they're paying their first month's mortgage payment up front unless somebody sits down and takes the time to explain that to them. Yep. Sometimes real estate agents do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the lender does. Sometimes they don't. So it is really good to have all of the information before at the beginning so the client isn't so rudely surprised. Yeah, and I um, – people – talk to me like I have a thick skin or something because it's like my personality, but I really am like a big softy when I feel that I've upset somebody or done something wrong. So I've, I've tried to craft a process by where I've, I know I've explained it well enough that we aren't going to, we're not going to arrive at that position where you're suddenly mad at me or disappointed in me that you didn't understand all of these things. And Sometimes I feel like that's a tactic, by the way. I ran up against that very thing just this week. I'd been, I got a referral from a realtor for some clients that wanted to, they were buying, first time home buyers buying a home. And they came to me and I sat down and I gave them a quote and I gave them a very thorough quote. I estimated title and escrow fees. I even put a little bit of a pad in there so that it was on the high side. Um, I built that quote with an impound account. So, and this time of year, you have to save seven months worth of property taxes in the impound account. At the closing of the transaction, you have to pay 12 months worth of your homeowner's insurance and then set aside an extra two for the impound account in the reserves. And so I built this thing this way. And when they came in, they said, well, your rate is lower than Chase's, but Chase doesn't have nearly the fees you have. Exactly. And so I said, well, let's lay them on the table here and look. Well, the loan officer from Chase had only two months worth of hazard insurance and only three months worth of property taxes. And sadly, the law does nothing to prevent that because those prepaid <laughs> items can change at any point in the process with no... Uh, there's none of these zero tolerance or 10% tolerance issues. And so um, I was trying to explain to them that, you know, this is this is sadly a tactic where you're being sold one thing and it's going to turn out another in the end. And and thankfully, actually was able to, to get through and, and make some sense over it. But uh, it's sad that we're still up against that. People that are and, – and again, I don't know if that loan officer from Chase, I don't know if he was – just not thorough. Maybe he's brand new. I mean, he could have started yesterday because of the way the bank 
their licensing works. He may not have enough experience to know that he did it wrong. He may have maliciously known that the that all of those things needed to be much higher and and purposefully made them less to appear cheaper. I have no way of knowing any of those things, but it's unfortunate that that still is happening. Well, and sometimes it also depends, for instance, on when you close. As you mentioned, when you close in the year depends how shows uh, it will determine how much of the property taxes that's right uh, c- coming up you have to pay. When you close in the month will determine how much of the uh, coming month's mortgage you have to pay up front. And so I think it could be uh, that sometimes they leave those factors out because uh, because you don't know until you actually have a contract and know your closing date what those are going to be. And sometimes I had a client in the same situation. She came to me and she said, I have two lenders here. And one of them has a lower interest rate, and one of them has has a total lower cost to close. And I said, really, let's look at that. Let's make sure. Let's look and see if all those other items are included. And they weren't, like you mentioned. And so sometimes it depends who has really the closest relationship with the client and whether the client speaks up right. to their agent or to the lender and say, really, help me understand this. Because yeah. uh, she was going to go with the higher interest rate. And I said, no, no. Let's sit down. Let's really sure. take a look at this in apples to apples, figure out what this is. Yeah. And I – yeah. And by the way, that's one of the reasons that I really love the realtor relationships we have that are so strong because oftentimes clients – I mean some clients are totally comfortable saying, hey, this is what I'm working with. But if they feel any angst at all about comparing two quotes, they don't they don't want to talk to the loan officer. They'll go to their real estate agent. And if the real estate agent – has the wherewithal to be able to say, "Hang on, we gotta we gotta figure out how to evaluate these um, in a in a like for like kind of way." And this was ultimately what happened on that Chase um, comparison this week as well. Chase had quoted four point seven five, and and I quoted four point three seven five. They were very different in huge, interest rate, huge. but so the client said, "Yeah, but but." That's not a big difference. I mean, that, they're both in the fours. And I go, yeah, but let me show you this. And I show them that my 4.75, and this is kind of a critical piece here, we all have ability to do the exact same interest rate. The fees are going to vary radically from one lender to the next for the same interest rate. So anyway, at, at 4.375, as you could imagine, my fees were slightly higher than Chase's 4.75. When I moved mine to 4.75, my closing costs were $6,000 less than Chase's in this case. Right. And And, sometimes. And they nearly went with Chase just because Chase appeared to be less, even though my rate was lower. Um, They were more driven by the cost of the transaction rather than the monthly out-of-pocket. So it's just, it's hard sometimes to get people to open up to you and give you all of the info. It is, and it's hard. I've been doing this for a long time, and I still don't understand all of the ins and outs of your business. And so sometimes when a client comes to me and says, what is this? I have to call the lender and say, okay, help me with a couple of these points so I can explain it to them. So I would say to my clients, really don't be embarrassed that you have questions and want some clarification. Ask. This is a huge investment. Ask questions. Make sure you know what you're getting. And the other part of it, too, is that if you're if your loan officer, you're employing your loan officer to go to work on your behalf and help procure financing, 
I think it's a good thing to have some of those tougher conversations with them. Then you get a sense of how they communicate. How well do they make their case? How well do they understand what they're talking about? How do they help you understand? Because that's the same skill set they're going to use when they go off to work with the bank that they're, you know, or the underwriter, or whoever it is that they're going to be relying on to get that money. And, you know, oftentimes people go to their loan officer and say, I, I'm hung up on X, Y, and Z and, and find no resolution there. That's a pretty good sign that you might want to hit the, hit the door running and find somebody else that's going to be better at it. It's also a, an example for me sometimes of a lender who might be able to come through with a product or an answer that some other aren't. Not all lenders are created equal, and I can go to a lender sometimes and say, here, I have this situation, and they'll, some, some will say uh, yes or no. And some will, or a lot of them will say no sometimes, and then some of the other ones will say, okay, what's your real issue? What's at the heart of it? Let's figure out another solution, and we'll come up with something different than what we asked about. And I want somebody who's going to solve my problem, not just answer my right. question. That's yeah. right. We're yeah. here with Mary McNally from Peterson Team Realty. And if you have a question for Mary, you can feel free to call in. If you have a question about real estate or about income property, you can give us a call here live in the studio at 543-8830, 543-8830. We do need to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we'll have more with Mary McNally. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or a savvy real estate investor, there's no denying that now is a great time to buy. We pride ourselves in offering every loan program at the lowest interest rate and the lowest fees. FHA, VA, USDA, conventional, we do it all. Let Central Coast Lending do your next purchase. Your loan will close on time and on budget with no last-minute surprises. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day so satisfied I'm on my way. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day so satisfied I'm on my way. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks so much for being with us. If you're just joining us, I'm Jason Grody in the studio here with Dan Podesto. We're the owners and operators of Central Coast Lending. And today on the show, we have a special guest, Mary McNally, who is a real estate professional. And sounds like uh, Mary's got some special knowledge here about the investment side of the business. And so I, I'm dying to know... Um, Where's the best place in the county to get the most smoking deal on an investment property? And uh, what are we overlooking out there? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't think the most smoking deals are just sitting around. <laughs> I think you have to dig them up yeah. or they come uh, occasionally and you have to be prepared. And that's one of the things that uh, people want to know if they need a loan on a smoking deal. They really need to have a pre-approval ahead of time. Right. They need to have their funds in the bank. They need to have their down payment ready. Um, or they need to sometimes, in some situations, uh, it might be a, a hard money lender or cash to get the loan. Um, it's a really competitive market out there right now, even for middle-of-the-road deals. Uh, so to get the smoking deal, you really have to be on your game and have to be have somebody out there who's digging for you and, and, and be prepared. Yeah. Have you noticed at all with any of your clients whether this recent run-up in, in interest rates has had an impact? Uh, yes. The market in general, everybody knows the market has gone up. I, I think uh, market statistics, you can make statistics say anything you want. The yeah, statistics, 40% of all people know that. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the statistics, I think people have noticed it this year they, uh, that all of a sudden the market has gone has started to go up. Uh, I noticed it really like a light switch went off in April of 2012. Okay. Uh, in December of 2011, I had agents kind of coming to me and saying, I can't find somebody who can qualify for a $300,000 loan. Uh, and by April, the same property that had been on the market had multiple offers and was going way over list, but that wasn't yet reflected in the statistics because you have to wait for things to close. Uh, and sure. so it has to be marketed. It has to be on the market. It has to go through escrow. It has to close. So the statistics uh, are lagging. And uh, even now I tell people when they're going to look at an offer, if you're looking at sales, uh, closed sales, you're really looking at obsolete numbers still. You're looking at something that was the market price two months ago. Um, and actually, I don't think I answered your question. You, I went, I went uh, a little bit sideways from that question, but the increase in the market. And so we have the increase in cost, the price of houses or resident or properties, as well as the increase in the interest rate. And so in the 2012, it seemed as if there were a lot of people in the market who had been waiting for the bottom. And all of a sudden, they realized we had the lowest interest rates and the lowest prices and everybody jumped in at the same time the inventory dried up. And what happened is they had just missed the bottom. Mm -hmm. Everybody had been waiting for exactly the right time. And then everybody came out at once and the prices really started charging upward. And so that's why I'm an advocate of really you can't have the absolute best timing. I mean, you might in retrospect, but in general, you have to find something that is economically valuable that has utility that it's going to have a formula that is going to pay you a good return it's going to it's not going to be too much risk and the and the cost is going to be acceptable and over the long haul that it will be a good investment so people who are more speculative who are uh, trying to get the absolute hit the actual bottom of the market uh, miss the bottom of the market so 
Isn't it kind of a misnomer to catch the bottom of the market, though? Because that's only evident in hindsight. It I mean, and so if you got it, you, it was probably a little bit of timing, maybe some skill. I'm going to argue some, dumb luck. A lot of dumb luck. That's what I'm going to argue. I think the reality is 10 years from now, we're going to look back and look at a period of time, You know, probably 2010 to 2015 as the bottom of the yeah, market. I'm, it I'm was hoping... a period of time. Yeah, there was one point in time where there was the peak bottom, but – there, there were great deals to be had in in, the, in a greater period of time than just and that's what that I, one moment. What I kind of tell people is, if they're in the bottom of the trough, it's it's almost impossible to exactly get the bottom market. So as long as they're buying at a good time, and right now, really, even though interest rates have gone up historically, they're still phenomenal. Four point six or four point eight is still an unbelievable interest rate for thirty year fix. Yeah, we shared a story. We we actually dug up a story from I think it was two thousand three. It was a headline made national news. Interest rates hit their lowest level in forty five years back in two thousand three, and the rate was somewhere in the mid fives. And so here we are, still it, they, they've gone up about a one percent since two months ago but we're still about a percent lower than those historical lows from 2003 right and there are still multiple offers on some properties that raise in the increase in interest rates i i think has taken some of the entry-level buyers out of the market so it's taken a little bit of the fervor out of the market but it's still a pretty hot market and that's also something that i try and talk to buyers about um they have to be a little bit aggressive in today's market when they're going after a property, especially one that is priced really well because there is going to be some competition and they can't necessarily base their offer on that on that price that I mentioned, that sold price that was two months ago because that's no longer really a valid price. That's right. I was having lunch this week with a friend of mine that's a real estate agent and we got to talking about um, all of those kind of marginal buyers, the ones that were pushing their upper end. And for example, I had a handful of first-time home buyers pre-qualified. And when I pre-qualify a first-time home buyer, there's other than just going through the, the regular math of developing, um, you know, what's your income, what's your credit, what's your savings, all this kind of thing. Um, it falls down to two main numbers for me. Um, number one is, and this is the one I like to put more clout in, uh, what is your budget? Where are you comfortable paying per month? Before we talk about you can qualify for a $500,000 house, I just got to know what's your number. And and people generally have a number pretty quick. I'm 2200 I, I don't, I can't pay more than that. I'm uncomfortable paying more than that. Okay, 2200 make a note of it. Now, I can back into a purchase price with their down payment and the current interest rate and all this and tell them, hey, you're qualified to $360,000. That's going to get you a payment of $2,199. And we're meeting the objective of sticking your ideal budget. Um, the second set of calculation is what's the total maximum that these people can qualify for based on debt-to-income limits. And those I usually run at 43% uh, because human nature, I guess, I'm not positive what, but if I tell somebody you're qualified to 390, invariably they show up a month and a half later saying we've got an accepted offer at 410. So there's got to be some buffer in there, but... Um, so point being a lot of those marginal people have, uh, 
been qualified at a three and a quarter or a three and three eighths, and they were qualified to three hundred sixty thousand dollars, and now with the change in interest rate, really needing to go to a four and a half to to keep a similar fee structure in the deal, that four and a half has impacted their purchasing power from three sixty. On average, it's fallen to about three forty from what I've seen so far. So, in that case. Um, you know that that's kind of also, I guess, at the heart of my question too. Have you had that very phenomenon happen where you've had your your prospective buyers or in deals that you're representing the seller on had them come back and say um, these people can't qualify now? I'm ex- I'm wondering if we're going to see um, some increased amount of cancellations from pending back to active because the buyer's financing um, was a wild card that fell through? Well, one of the things that I would say for sellers is you really want a listing agent who is familiar with all the factors that you're talking about. So you want a listing agent that if if your property's been on the market for 30 or 60 days when the interest rate has been so volatile, if you have a, a... a pre-qualification letter that comes in that's 60 or 90 days old that you actually have to co- have a conversation with the lender who sure. wrote it and say, is that accurate? Is that is that really still good today? And that's really one of the responsibilities of a, of a good listing agent for the seller. You want right. to make sure that it is um, valid still. And uh, yes, there might be some cancellations during escrow if the agents don't uh, do that really thoroughly. And also there are Issues uh, of negotiations or cancellations in escrow sometimes because it is still in an increasing market, sometimes difficult to get a property to appraise at the agreed purchase price. Yeah. Yeah, we see that come up too. Um, For those of you that are just joining us, you're listening to Mortgage Matters. We're live in the studio here. We have Mary McNally on the show today. And I feel like we're just getting into it. This is where the conversation is really going to pick up. So we're going to have about another half an hour here uh, with Mary, and we hope that you guys will chime in, too. We'd love to hear from you. The number to the show here is 543-8830. We're going to take a quick break, so go refill your coffee, maybe point that speaker at you and turn it up a little. This is going to be some good radio. Stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. It's 5 after 11. We're glad that you're with us. Thanks for stopping by. We're joined by Mary McNally, and uh, I can tell already, I'm just meeting Mary for the first time today, just like you guys here. So this is, it's organic as it gets right now. I can tell already, Mary, you're... You're keyed in on this stuff. You you love what you do, and you're paying close attention. I love that. Um, it's not... It's not always the case with real estate agents, as you probably get the sense. Well, uh, one of the things that I say is I'm a real estate junkie. I got I get to do things that I really enjoy doing, um, and I would be out uh, trolling the streets looking at properties, whether I was working with clients or not, because I just am fascinated by it. I sure. love it, like looking at the opportunities. And also, as you've been talking about early in the show, the economics and logic behind it. Yeah. 
It's fun. I I sure love it. Um, I I couldn't really imagine doing anything else right now. I'm not going to on it in five or ten or twenty years. I might want to do something else, but for now, I'm still good. Um, so I'm curious though. Uh, when you were driving in, did you guys pass the uh, bridges and buildings that were had loan officers lined up jumping? You see that? I didn't. Yeah, there's it's happening all over. Loan officers just casting themselves to their death because the refi business is is virtually dead. I mean, um, and most of the most most of the loan officers that I know have um, just been gobbling up the low lying fruit for the last five years. And um, I mean, it, Mary, you've been in this business long enough to know that. Um, before rates really took this big dip, you had loan officers coming around. Anything I can help you with? You got any questions, any problems? Um, all of a sudden, rates hit super dirt cheap low, and those loan officers stop showing up for some time. They're super busy. They're sitting behind uh, mountains of loans and just making wheelbarrows of cash. And um, neglecting those relationships is not uh, a very good practice. And so today, that since the refi is dead, I do fully expect a lot of loan officers are going to be looking for new careers as they just they won't have a way to, to survive since they neglected their realtors. Well, we've seen a lot of that in different phases over the la- over the last cycle. Uh, between what 2004 and 2007 to 2008 there were a lot of people who got into the business because you couldn't wake up in the morning without making money right and so there were a lot of people who got into the becoming loan officers loan brokers who didn't really know what they were doing they could pick up a phone and make a cold call and they could help someone it was easy to help people right uh, and they could make a lot of money and then when the market got tough the attrition was extremely high. I think most of those people were pretty well weeded out at that point. Right. And then we had another cycle just in the last year, year and a half maybe, where a lot of the big banks lost a lot of their loan brokers because the big banks were running so scared. Their underwriters, their uh, right. the people behind the scenes were running so scared that they had trouble closing a deal on time or close or closing it at all and so some of the long-term experienced loan brokers went to independent shops yep uh, so there's been there have been a lot of changes in the market over the last yeah, five years. Yeah, and, and additionally, in the last year or two, I've I've even seen a, a fair amount of greenhorns show up. People that said, "Oh, I, I'm going to learn the business and want to figure out how to make it happen," and and that's been kind of surprising because for those of us that have been in the business for um, uh, gosh, I guess I would say any any distance around about ten years, um, it's been pretty wild. And I was just sharing with some folks the other day. I, I so I used to be an underwriter, Mary. That was how I got into the business. And when I was underwriting, this this began in like 2002, where Alte was really just first getting its legs, and we started seeing a lot of the 8020s and interest only loans. And um, we had subprime was getting pretty popular, and we worked for an independent mortgage bank that was. Uh, not afraid to offer a lot of pretty bizarre products. And um, as I began, I was a junior underwriter and I, and I really, uh, two things were going on. Number one, I really wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. And number two, um, I had, I was married and and we had a, a young baby that I needed to figure out how to support. And so um 
I noticed that the underwriters were really, really panicked, certain underwriters, when somebody walked in from the shipping department. And shipping would come with these closed loans and say, hey, here's your list of problems. And so I went to the owner of the company and I said, hey, I need to make a little bit of extra money. And I also have got a fair amount to learn. Can I work in the shipping department after hours? I'll ship loans. And so once I worked in the shipping department, I got a sense of how you put that package together and then was started receiving back the stip sheets and um, figuring out where all the problems were. So then as I began underwriting, I had that knowledge and I knew what not to put in there, what you always need to make sure is in there and what the easiest way is to get yourself out of a jam. And so quickly I became a, a pretty popular underwriter because I had no excessive conditions, only the big ticket items that I knew were going to be asked for. Um, and, and so that was kind of how it transitioned along today. My mind is full of old matrices and underwriting guidelines that are no longer true. Every day I'm having to look into the updates and learn about the new overlays from any given bank or changes and, um, just lack of tolerance for certain issues. Um, more than ever today, we're seeing, uh, these reemerging uh, borrowers. It seems like every day I get a call from somebody that's 35 and a half months ago had a foreclosure or a bankruptcy or a short sale and are looking to get out and buy again. And it's just, it's, it's amazing how much things have really changed. I couldn't imagine being new today. Um, it would, I think it would just be so difficult. Um, but, and, and so now I'm dying to know, is this a good time to buy? Is it really? <laughs> You you brought up a couple of points, but one, I'll just go back to what you just hit on, which is one of the things I really like to see in the lender or in-house experts. You can tell pretty quickly when you run into snags and deals, when you have underwriters in-house or people behind the scenes who are going to be able to expedite your your loan or are going to know what they're really looking for up front. Or sometimes when you have somebody who has a complicated package, who's self-employed, who has uh, credit issues from the past, all of those nuances of a loan, uh, the the behind-the-scenes people can make or break your deal or make your life That's right. miserable or very comfortable by the preparation and the advance warning. Kind of you get the education you get up front. And so really good in-house experts is really important, and it's nice to have um, – uh, a roster of those people where you know they know that, what they're doing. That Dan and I worked in the operations side of the business for years. I mean, we eventually were running a, a significant wholesale mortgage bank. I mean, a $180 million a month mortgage bank we were um, in command of before we decided to open our own brokerage. So we named ourselves Central Coast Lending, and our tagline is the Mortgage Experts. You see that on most of our advertising. I think it's funny because uh, for a couple of guys in our capacities, we probably are overkill. I always joke it's like having the engineer that built your car be the one to do your oil changes or something. But um, so, yeah, we, we really pride ourselves in having <laughs> – that's true fact, man. So we're underemployed. Totally. Yeah, we're um, part of that part of that number yeah maybe for a while i think that we were underemployed uh, but but now that we've got a, a robust business i think we could hardly be counted that way anymore so you also mentioned the market in 2002 and some of the economic <clears throat> stimulus 
some of the things that were going on in the market right then, which is a, I think, a whole nother hour that I could we, we could talk about what the what was going on and that had just gone on in the stock market and what the Fed was doing. But instead of that, we'll jump to the next question, which is kind of is it a good time to buy now? And one of the things that I really believe is that California income or investment property, income property, residential property purchased wisely is one of the best long-term investments that you can make. And one of the reasons is, there are a couple reasons, but California has Proposition 13, which if you're new to real estate, Prop 13 uh, basically says that your house during the time that you own it will not be reassessed. So your property tax stays relatively fixed during the lifetime of your of your ownership. Now, it won't stay exactly fixed because it can be adjusted for inflation. It also can be uh, if your community votes in a bond for schools or streets or something like that, that can be attached to your property taxes. But we're the only state in the nation that fixes, not only fixes your property taxes basically at the time of the purchase, but also fixes the rate of property taxes. We are the Proposition 13, and this is something that most people don't know, actually fixes the property tax rate at 1.1%. If you go to somewhere in Texas, every different county has a different property tax rate. It can be 3.3%, 3.6%. So we have one of the lowest property tax rates in the country. And so if you're buying something that's going to be a, even a, a, you know, an interest rate under 5% over 30 years and have relatively fixed costs, you can't have it you can't make another investment that you know you're going to have that kind of fixed cost yeah i don't want to have a debate today about whether or not that prop 13 was a good idea or if it should still remain in effect but i can say emphatically that it is uh, a tremendous benefit to owning real estate in california there's just no question sure i mean it, it, it there the downside is the money doesn't go to our schools because that's how schools are that's funded right. And and there's a big philosophical question about whether it should apply to commercial-sized residential property or commercial property. Was that really what it was intended to do, or was it pretended to protect uh, people as they aged, especially seniors, from being priced out of their home because they could no longer afford the property taxes? So it may be uh, something that was a- applied more broadly than was originally intended. Yeah, I think so. And oftentimes, you know, I mean, you said earlier you can prove anything with statistics. And I I always throw in there, yeah, 40% of all people know that because I just think that that's hilarious because that's, to me, what a lot of statistics are. I certainly see people come in on lofty pension plans from the state uh, in one fashion or another that have a million plus dollar house that the property assessed at you know two thousand dollars a year or something ridiculous and um, I, I look at that and I say I, I'm not positive why we have that at the same time when people today are buying eight hundred thousand dollar houses uh, in in some places that's really what's required. It demands a two-income household, and you find that you're paying six, seven hundred dollars a month for property taxes, and you may be next to a neighbor that's paying uh, eight hundred, or you know, eighty dollars a month, or something like that. So, anyway, I, I do. I, I think that it's a it's a tremendous benefit for people that are in here and um, both bought real estate ten, twenty, thirty years ago, but at the same time. 
I'm I'm hopeful that one day my dad will or my kids will say something like, "Yeah, my dad bought that house in 2009 for only 500,000." And they'll go, "Wow, and now it's worth 3 million." I don't know if that's likely or not, but um that's what us younger folks think uh, when we think of the Prop 13. Well, right. good, good or bad, you also have the downside protection with property taxes with Prop 8, that if your property falls, if your assessed value falls <coughs> below what you bought the home for, your um, tax assessor will actually come in and, and assess your property lower, and you'll pay l- a lower tax rate. So there's there's that protection in there if the value of the home falls too. We kind of have our cake and eat it too, is what you're saying? A little bit. Yeah, I think so We've too. Never really knew that until this most recent downturn. Right, but <laughs> and you also have other tax advantages when you have income property. You have uh, depreciation write-offs, uh, whether it's residential or income property. You have uh, a write-off for in, uh, the interest that you pay on your mortgage, and so there are a lot of things that the government has done to help people. Who are investing in real estate to incentivize home ownership? Yes, and I always kind of think that a lot of the people who were in our government originally, this is this might be um, a little bit of a jaundiced view, but a lot of people who were in the government originally were uh, landed gentry, and sure, uh, and so it's usually pretty wise to invest on the side of the people who are making the laws for themselves Correct. that benefit <laughs> themselves. And so a lot of the a lot of the tax laws we have benefit real estate. Yeah, and. So if you're investing, it could help you. Yeah. Our our laws were drafted by wealthy white landowners, weren't they? <laughs> we're, we're here with Mary McNally of Peterson Team Realty. She's a real estate investment expert, and we'll invite your phone calls at 543-8830. We've got Dan waiting patiently on the line from Oceano. Thanks for calling in, Dan. Hey, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. Good, Dan. How about yeah, you? A couple comments on Prop 13. Yep. Uh well, I got like I have three issues. There. Boy, the Prop 13 and 8 have helped me. Yep. But the uh, big thing is, you know, all the stuff about the schools don't get the money. As soon as those, you know, people like my mom lives in Montecito, and she's on a fixed income, and my dad bought, you know, acre and a half lots across from Westmont College and built their house, and they got priced out of their houses. Yeah. The property taxes became more than what my dad paid for the property and built the house. Wow. Okay, but, you know, my mom can keep her house. But as soon as that property changes hands, then all of a sudden that 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 goes up huge. Sure. And property changes hands. And, it's, you know, all of a sudden she's paying $2,000, and the property she, she's sitting on, you know, she's sitting on a, a house with a guest cottage and then a lot with a water meter. Okay, that's probably worth four million dollars. So then it's going to go from two thousand, you know, you know, twenty five hundred a year to forty thousand a year. Right. Okay, and that happens all the time. Huh. On the other issue is, I'm really glad Prop Eight because this property I bought, I got forced to sell my down my downtown Pismo property that you know I paid one hundred and sixty five thousand for for you know a block and a half from the beach in Pismo. So I had a low property tax, and then I came and bought this little thing here. It's a commercial service zone, but it's my house. It's all residential. It's where they wanted to put that marijuana thing in there, and they're all <laughs> residents. And there was a bunch of foreclosures here. And the one thing you got to keep in mind on that Prop 8 is your base value. They still keep bringing your base value up 
the one or two percent valuation. Correct. So that's going to be a big hit on me again, because I was paying when I first moved in here. I was paying thirty seven hundred a year, and because of the foreclosures around here, I went and filled out the forms, and I had a piece of property I bid on next to me, and I went and I filled out those forms and sent them to the assessor, and on my base value is like four hundred thousand. You know, minus the minus the you know seven thousand that you get for your exemption exemption, but I just got my bill in the last two years. I'm glad I did this. They dropped my, you know, I'd almost been paying four thousand, and they've got me down to fifth. Uh, they got it down to one hundred and fifty eight thousand value. Wow, which is a big hit. You know, I mean, as far as being on paper, but I own my place. And I'm sure glad my taxes, you know, I'm paying, you know, 780 instead of 1800 or more right. on those, you know, two-time tax things. So that Prop 8's good, but, man, I'll tell you what, when you get it, it's good. But, you know, when this property comes back up, all of a sudden I'm going to go, whoa, I better have some money put in the bank. Yeah, it's starting to go the other way. We just learned, I think, in the last week uh, that the county tax assessor's office announced that, that – as many as 24,000 homeowners in the county were going to get some postcards in the mail in the next week or so. I just got um, mine. And some of those, it, it sounded like there weren't going to be too many people receiving more than an 8% increase to their taxes. But there are some places where there was greater than an 8% appreciation or, or change in their home's value. And they're going to they're going to see that change reflected in their property tax That's rate. Right. Well, mine fortunately stayed just the same because I own my property free and clear. And that's, you know, the weird thing about trying to buy a property you haven't brought up. I've gone through two wives and we've bought property. And that's what I started when I was a kid in college. I wanted property and I did everything. I, I've never owned a nice car. And I consider owning a piece of property much more important than owning a car and that's what i did i i bought property and i turned uh uh a fifteen hundred dollar down payment on two pieces you know i bought two pieces of property on jardine road one acre lots paid uh three thousand a piece for them fifteen hundred dollars down fifty bucks a month owner carry that was the whole thing owner carry i could never qualify for anything well and that dan that touches on one of the questions jason asked which is 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 this a good time to buy and overall yeah really the concept of real estate is that even if you do get seller financing or 15-year fixed or 30-year fixed you're paying down your principal and eventually you will own it outright and so you either have the utility of living there yourself or you have uh tenants or um I don't know, maybe you rent the land out to a rancher who has cows on it. But one way or another, you're making some income and your expenses, your carrying costs have have diminished. And so that's another reason that California real estate is a a good investment over the long term if you can buy it well. I I tell every young person, do not go out and buy some stupid car. If you want to do something for your life, buy a piece of property. It doesn't even have to be a house. I mean, I... My first wife, she would cry because we'd go out, and we couldn't qualify to buy it. At that time, we were looking at houses in Santa Louis that were, you know, $47,000, and there was no way that we could qualify with both of us working, you know, minimum wage. You just couldn't qualify. 
unless you found an owner carry, and you find an owner carry, and I've had really good realtors that have just and and use a realtor, and yeah. if you get a good realtor, they will. Uh, I mean, I've I've had Dave Bejer, a fabulous realtor, and uh, um, Pat McMahon down here, fabulous realtor. I mean, these guys know how to go out and write offers. And, you know, you sit down with them, and you've got a realtor that works on your side. And, you know, this last house I'm in right now, Pat McMahon actually lost half of his commission because he couldn't write the contract. We went to this open house, that I, the house I'm in now, and they had an open house. And I sat down, and I bought the house right there, right there on the spot, I told I told the realtor, go get the owner, bring her back to the open house, let's sit down, I'm going to, you know, buy this house, it's going to be all cash, because I, you know, they had my property in Pismo sold, and we just sat down, and two hours later, you know, offers in, and 15 days later, I was, you know, working on my house, I owned it. Well, I definitely agree with you, Dan, having a good realtor is key to getting a, a good a good real estate transaction completed. We sure appreciate you calling in and sharing your thoughts with us. Um, if anyone else would like to call in, you could do so by calling 543-8830, 543-8830. So what else are we missing? We've got we've we've found Mary that we've got a great tax law, at least you yeah, know, debatable about the re- pros and cons, relatively, but good for investment. Relatively fixed costs, you have some tax advantages. Um, it's also you generate income without necessarily deplete, de- depleting your capital. And as an example, say, for instance, somebody retired in 2008 just as the stock market crashed. If their uh, retirement portfolio could not generate enough distribution for them to live on, then they needed to sell off some of the capital to get them through. And if you retire at a time like that, that it can be devastating it can be very difficult to overcome retiring when those assets aren't worth what they used to be. And I think in 2008, they were worth almost maybe by 2009 or 10, they were worth almost half of what they were in 2007. Uh, so with real estate, you don't have that same thing. Say, for instance, you buy a duplex or a fourplex. If the in the in 2008, 2009, 2010, when the value wasn't there, you still could have tenants in it, and they were still paying the same monthly rent, and you were not you didn't have to take out of the property or out of the you didn't have to deplete your capital capital to generate the same kind of income. So you can protect that capital; it doesn't get devastated in the same kind of way. So uh, the income generation, the capital preservation, you also have a tangible asset. People want to live on the Central Coast, and you have direct control. I really like direct control over real estate as opposed to Wall Street investments. There are a lot of people on Wall Street who are making millions and millions of dollars a year, and that all comes out of the profits before it ever gets distributed to to the shareholders. And I don't have any control over whether they're reinvesting it or paying somebody a bonus. With real estate, I have control over making my property the most profitable it can be and generating the best returns possible. Now, I thought your story was um, pretty interesting. Was that was the fourplex you purchased? Was that your first it was. purchase? So you chose to make your first home, and you lived there. I did. Um, to be a multi-unit property. You most people want to buy their first home, have a little single family house with they a picket fence. Out and, of the apartment yeah. or the condo they're in, they want a, 
no more shared walls. So I'm curious to get your take, having lived that, um, you know, being a landlord and a first-time homebuyer um, for your primary residence as a four-unit complex, what are the pros and cons, and would you advise that type of um, purchase for other first-time homebuyers? It it was a great thing to do. It was a great it was a great time. It was a great investment. Um, it was a great learning opportunity. Uh, I did have somebody knock on my door at ten o'clock at night and say, "Hey, the toilet just overflowed," mm-hmm. and so I went running down there with the wet vac. Um, now I call a plumber because <laughs> I can't plumb anyway, so it was kind of silly for me to go with a wet vac. Now, um, so there, if you live on site, you are. Uh, up close and personal. You're very accessible. That's right. Very <laughs> accessible, and they will not hesitate to knock on your door. I don't live uh, on my at my investment property anymore, but that was a good way to get into the market. And like I said earlier, I just didn't have any idea when I started my search process that I could buy income property because I didn't know that that was accessible. And back then, I think I, I think I put twenty percent down on that purchase. But up and up until a couple of years ago, as a um, an owner occupant, you could get in with as little as ten percent down. Now, you guys are the experts. I don't know if that's possible as a as an owner occupant on income property. For multifamily, now. yeah, it's still that's still the same requirement that ten percent. Unless you do FHA, Unless FHA, you do FHA allows up to a four unit purchase uh, with three and a half percent down. Yeah, and under some circumstances, you can qualify with the rents. <laughs> well, and and with conventional, that's the same thing. I, that's where I kind of wanted to go with that is for for people out there who might be thinking about buying a multi unit property as their primary residence, you do have the ability to qualify with those rents. The the home may be priced a little higher than a than a one unit property, but there's some additional income that's generated by the property that you can use to qualify for that higher or that larger loan. And Dan, you know this, of course, but a lot of banks won't allow you to qualify with the rents unless you have a two-year history of being a landlord. They want to know that you understand how that business works. But um, there are certainly banks available that we broker to regularly that will allow a even a first-time home buyer to buy an investment property and qualify with a portion of the rents on the property. And some of the properties are more suited to it. Like there are properties around here where there's a house in the front and maybe a duplex in the back. And that can be a, a situation just as if you're living in a house yourself and then you have the income from, from the other units to help offset your expenses. Sure. There's a, there's a few things about that, by the way, that um, are – really worth thinking of. Um, One of the things that people rarely remember is that, um, you know, currently the conforming loan limit in our state is 417,000. They have made a temporary um, expansion to that, I guess I want to call it. And it's 125% of your area's median home value, which in San Luis County takes us up to $561,200 $561,200 for a single-family residence. Right. You can get a duplex, a triplex, or a fourplex. I always feel funny calling that a quadplex. Um, those are um, much, much higher. I'm pulling it up right now so that I can quote them for you, but uh, I think it's in the 900000 range for a for for, conforming. For, yeah, for a conforming loan. So you're talking about being able to today procure – um, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of a four and a half percent rate on something like that, where in years past, 
that's going to be considered a jumbo loan. Um, or if you're buying a single, uh, just a single house, something that expensive would be a jumbo loan. So it's it's kind of a really, actually a really neat thing. And I, I, I think that um, when you're working with the right team of people, it's not hard to figure out how to use that to your advantage. And it is really uh, um, something that some people are interested in doing because they want to build uh, some build their assets and it's some people quite interest honestly aren't interested in dealing with tenants and you can even if you live on the property you can get a property manager some people it's uh it it is a personal choice if you have the kind of wherewithal and fortitude and interest i think it's a great path yeah um, if you value your privacy and time then yeah maybe that 10 percent spent on a property manager is worth it Right, and and then maybe, then maybe you buy the property, you live in it for a couple of years, build some equity, maybe you refinance, pull some money out, and buy a house, and then and which is what I did, and and move to the next property. When I I had my first investment property, I went as an underwriter. I ran their credit. I did an analysis. I, I looked at it from a very risk managing perspective. And I went um, 0 for 3 on tenants. So my first three selections, I got burned with a broken lease, a damaged property with trash left behind, and um, and just and they didn't even pay the last month's rent, kind of thing. So I realized that I'm I just I'm way too emotional to be able to deal with having tenants. It's not a good fit for me. Um, and maybe unless I had better tenants or something, but well, learning the technique to screen them well up front might might be helpful. Yeah, well, and like I said, I mean, I I was an underwriter at the time. It should have been a lot easier for me. Um, you know, one of the things was is it was a long distance thing, and I didn't have the ability to to meet face to face. And I I think there's a bigger there's more clout to be put in that. Um, by the way, I just got this up finally. If you buy a fourplex in the state of California today, you may borrow $801,950 um, on the conforming loan. That's a that's a pretty ridiculous deal. And, Dan, um, because you have the checkbook, just a side note, in Hawaii, there's a, they're on a slightly higher as non-contiguous. It's $1.2 million for a fourplex, so we should buy, like, a fourplex over there and then make, like, three of them vacation rental. Yeah. Have, like, a home base. Yeah. It's all write-off, right, mm-hmm. if you go visit it. And you, uh, can well. have, you could have a satellite office there, don't you think? Yeah, as we should. Hear that? It's Mary's right so smart, and she's here she is advising us. We should do this. Install <laughs> the studio over there. You could write off the show. Perfect. And the travel and the, right. So many benefits. So many benefits. Hey, we have to take uh, another commercial break here to thank our sponsors. We will be right back with more Mortgage Matters and a little bit more with Mary McNally. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. Find out more in San Luis Obispo. Call Agent Susan Rodriguez. 
Whether you're a first-time home buyer or a savvy real estate investor, there's no denying that now is a great time to buy. We pride ourselves in offering every loan program at the lowest interest rate and the lowest fees. FHA, VA, USDA, conventional, we do it all. Let Central Coast Lending do your next purchase. Your loan will close on time and on budget with no last-minute surprises. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Jim, you're so amazing with that. I mean, I told you about Yes, and you played a few songs like this. This Now you know I'm going to see Van Halen yeah, at the fair. Did you know that? Yeah, coming up on the 24th. How I exciting think, is that? I think we that? might have talked about that. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were like a mind reader. Well, you know, we didn't talk about it during the break or anything during the show. So Funny story. Yeah. Quick funny story. Um, I went... Uh, so I had a girlfriend in high school that at the time um, was on for prom queen, and I guess that's a pretty big deal. I didn't, yeah. I it didn't mean very much to me at the time. I wasn't yeah. up for prom king, so all it really <laughs> meant was that my girlfriend was going to be paired off with some other dude at the dance. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, I got tickets to see Van Halen. Yeah. And I bought the tickets. In between, then she won this comp petition of like you know miss hometown girl and uh i said i'm not gonna go to prom with you and she said if you don't we're breaking up and i'm like i have van halen tickets so see you later that show was <laughs> so awesome <laughs> and she did she ended up dating the guy that got prom king what are oh. the odds well, I go. wasn't. I didn't lose any sleep over it. It was awesome. <laughs> I love it. I think Halen. you made out good in the long run, Justin. I'm pretty totally. Sure yeah. yeah. What if I would have ruined my life with her, and then I wouldn't be married to my beautiful wife today? There you go. See? Ah, that's good times. All right. Sorry for the derailment. <laughs> that's every time I hear Van Halen or go to Van Halen, I'm always going to think about that. <laughs> Choosing the band, and anytime you mention an ex-girlfriend, you have to throw something out, some a little nugget out to your wife, right? Oh man, we just my wife and I just just, celebrated. That's an experienced husband, right there. Teen years of marriage. 
That's awesome. Good job. Yeah, she's, nice. she's put up with them for. And you know what's funny? Can you believe that? Probably closer to twenty twenty five. Special kind of girl. It everything. helps that she doesn't speak English. <laughs> 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 she's blind and doesn't understand math. This is this is great. Um, Okay, uh, two lines are ringing now. Jason's <laughs> wife on two lines somehow. She actually does listen to the show. In fact, she'll be texting me any minute. Um, oh, she says, Van Halen at the fair, am I going with you? <laughs> oh, I was going to take someone else. Just like a friend. Just kidding. Yeah, baby, you're going to Van Halen with me. All right. Um, so, Mary, I've actually... Um, surprisingly enjoyed you today on the show. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it, it ha- it's been fun. And I, I do, I always enjoy meeting other professionals that are truly passionate about what they do and take the time to learn the ins and outs and intricacies and specialize in it. Um, twice now you've teased me about this idea of using um, a retirement account as an investment vehicle for real estate and I, I, I worry that perhaps we're running out of time, so we may have to have you back on the show. But um, is this a practice that's being uh, utilized? Uh, yeah. Ever, self-directed IRAs have been uh, allowed as an option for retirement accounts ever since uh, individual retirement accounts were instituted in 74, 75. Uh-huh. And so there are a lot of options. And one of the things that you can do is purchase income property or investment property in a retirement account. A lot of people don't know that you can do it. As a matter of fact, I offer seminars on the subject occasionally, and I had a lady come last year and said she had gone to her CPA four years in a row and said, we're done with the stock market. We want to buy real estate in our retirement accounts. And the CPA said, you can't do it. So not everyone knows about it. Um, I would, I would, I always advocate talking to your legal and tax professionals before you do something like and that. And so you're talking something more than the tax-free ten thousand dollars you can pull out of a Roth IRA to make a down payment on a house. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. It's a, a different, a different format, and it's not, tr- it's not too complicated. But you do. There are a lot of details, and you have to do it correctly. Or you're in trouble with the IRS and you lose some of your tax advantages. So you want to make sure that you get some advisors who know what they're doing. And I'd be delighted to come back and talk to you about it in more depth. It sounds like it's a pretty good can of worms here. So I do think we should have you back on and talk more about that. Dan? I concur. Why? Yes, he was, let's he had do to that. Think when about you it. were looking at me, he was shaking his head no. <laughs> he was like, no, no. Um, he wants to talk more next time. <laughs> yeah. No, that never happens. <laughs> you were talking a lot in the beginning. I, I was surprised. I was kind of sitting over here listening. Do you remember that, Jim? <laughs> I do, actually. See? He yeah. saw. We it wasn't just me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I guess... We're running out of time, unfortunately. I want to. I want to find out from you. Obviously, we're going to have you back on the show, hopefully, relatively soon here. But uh, Mary, give us some closing thoughts about um, real estate today. Well, one of the things that you we talked about just before the break was uh, being a landlord and knowing the ins and outs of investment property, and that's one of the things that I try to do with my clients is advise them 
while they're going through the purchase and selecting a property, but also after they close the property, help them learn how to what forms to use and where to get good legal forms and how to screen tenants and uh, how to maintain the property and the ins and outs. So after they close the property, it's not over. It's a really it's a long term relationship, and hopefully, it's something that they enjoy and might even do again. So I try to consider I try to look at it as a long a long term advisor. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds good. I think oftentimes people do. They buy something and then just kind of get tossed out. Hey, good job on getting that. Go figure it out. Right. And I do that with my residential clients as well. It's a it's a long-term commitment. I had a client who just bought a brand-new house and a brand-new development and three weeks later had a, a, a massive problem because apparently at some point in the construction, the backhoe had gone over the sewer line. Oh, so. No. So uh, I, when she called me, I said, I'm, ca- I'm, I'm right over. It's a Saturday afternoon. She was on her way to a wedding. I said, you leave. I'll stay here with the plumber, and we'll deal with it, and we'll deal with the developer and get it all straightened out. So for residential and income property, uh, they're, they're not on their own after it closes. Yeah, that's good to know. So a, a backhoe broke a sewer line, and it took a few weeks to figure out? Yes. Oh, that's crappy. <laughs> that was a waste. But don't. Hey, well, uh, Mary, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, say, today, because they like what you're talking about and want to get some more info, how might they reach you? Well, I have two websites. One is more residential-oriented. One is a little bit more investment-oriented. The websites are www.mcnallyre.com or www.ira for individual retirement account, the word for, F-O-R, and then re for realestate.com. That's ira for re.com. Awesome. Or my phone number, which can I throw that out on the you air? That's may. okay too. 805 704 8041. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking your time out of a Saturday to, to come in and, and chat with us. We really appreciate it. And um, I am looking forward to having you back on. I think it would be great to have you on. I want to learn more about this. Um, the IRA for real estate. I'm interested to hear about that because I feel like it's something I literally know nothing about. Well, it's been a really good time. Thanks for having me. I'll look forward to coming back. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, guys, we're going to do the final commercial break of the show. When we get back, we'll do some housekeeping. Dan's got some pictures to look at of the articles he left at his house. (laughs) um, And we'll make sure we covered all of the news that you need to know this week. Stick with us for the rest of Mortgage Matters. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars for a home purchase or refinance can be a stressful endeavor. And if you're like most Californians, you only get a home loan once every five years. That's why you need an experienced guide who knows the terrain and can carry the load of two mules. You need the Mortgage Sherpa, and he's only at Central Coast Lending. Let the Mortgage Sherpa lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. We just got a 10 minutes here or so to go. And um, this, Dan was just dying to get an edge in word-wise, so I'm going to pipe down for the rest of the show here and I'm just going to let him go. Do your thing, buddy. Isn't it a word in edge-wise anyway? You know. What did he say? Edge in word-wise. So there's no. a Jasonism that we can use now. Yeah. No. You, you're just, you're hearing wrong. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Weird, weird. Um, yeah, so, Dan, what else is on the list of the little uh, things to chat about? I, I don't know. I think we've pretty much covered it all. Bank earnings is something that I've um, been enjoying paying attention to. Um, let's see. J.P. Morgan and Chase. They So, J.P. Morgan Chase was in the headlines a few weeks ago talking about laying some more folks off. They're trimming more and more out of their mortgage uh, division of their company. They had a 31% rise in quarterly profit. But remind me, was it, is this 31%, is this after their, uh, that big loss they have on their speculative bet? Was that just last quarter? <laughs> maybe, maybe in the last quarter I remember or like the big dude basically threw the dice for $2 billion and lost it. And so... And then that $2 billion turned into $8 billion Yeah, or real quick. Yeah. It was accidentally underestimated by a quarter. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I was looking at this and I was wondering, is 31% seems like a big jump from one quarter to the next. And maybe that was why it could be just sensationalizing the headlines. That other, th- and that as I get older, I realize that things I think were last quarter were like four years ago. So, <laughs> um, but we'll see. So, uh, but anyways, I think that the the point about this is, um, yeah, the, it was a big derivatives loss. It, it had to have been last quarter. I, I'm sure of it. But at any rate. Um, the uh, bank profits, I think, are going to be something to really keep an eye on because much of the bank profits as of late have been a result of tremendous um, revenue based on refinance loans. And as those t- just plummet, every week we're learning that um, purchases are making up more of the market share um, every week. And it's not because we're getting many more purchases. It's because the divisor as refinance is just literally dying. Um, and so I do, I wonder if the fall off in refinance origination volume will lead to, uh, 
smaller profits by the banks, which could lead to falling stock prices in the financial markets. And um, if it, it could potentially be that catastrophic, this is one of the reasons why I'm kind of sitting here with a watchful eye wondering what the feds think about this recent radical increase in interest rates. Yeah. Wells Fargo also had their earnings reports come out and they were fairly decent as well. Not a 31 percent increase, but pretty decent profitability from Wells Fargo in an otherwise slow week. This next week coming up, there's it's really earnings season kicks into into high gear. Um, and we're also going to have maybe some more Fed talk, I'm sure. Yeah, the Feds, yeah, we're expected to be hearing blips from the Feds all month long. This, the July meeting for the Feds is set for the 30th and 31st. So we're, it's not like we're going to hear that Q&A or the, the Fed statement release um, probably until right after the 31st. But um, we are expecting to hear rumors of the Feds all month long. And I, and I do, I think that they're purposefully setting up these little media blitzes to try to to find a sounding block to make sure that we're hearing them receiving their statements the way that they're intended to. Um, the IMF this week um, also made a statement about global. Global. Perfect. <laughs> I was already on to growth. Um, global growth uh, will be 3.1% this year. And um, that is unchanged from what it was last year global growth that's a tough little two words to say say it three times fast but <laughs> you can't yeah i'll try it after come on after the show do it on the air global growth three Gl times global growth go one more time global growth that's pretty good. You're better than I. <laughs> but sir. yeah, it was a downward revision from their previous forecast. And three point three percent was what they were expected um, back in April was when they went on record saying that. So that that's a little bit disappointing. And they also made a downward revision for next year. And they're really citing the slowdowns in China, India, and several other emerging markets um, as a reason for that global turndown in in economic production. I don't usually name drop names, but I've never been a big fan of Bank of America. Um, we, I tend to get on this soapbox as soon as I say their name. I want to encourage everybody that hears me right now to move to one of the local banks. It is your social responsibility to bank with the local banks. They deserve your love. It's supporting the local community. Bank of America turned some heads this week. Did you read this article, Dan? I did not. Um, they're going to send all of the appraisals um, off to India. That's where they're going to have appraisals reviewed for the entire um, company. Well, that makes a lot of sense. They open an <laughs> India unit to review home valuation reports as it seeks to rebuild its um, stake as America's low-cost loan originator. So, yeah. and, the, is, and the quality is really going to shoot up because who yeah. knows American real estate and the nuances of little communities all over the country better than folks in India. Yeah. Wow. Um, we'll see. <laughs> Pretty bizarre. I can't really believe that they would do something like this. Um, appraisals for the last, what do you want to, let's just call it five years here, have been the heart of some uh, major debates. We've been through some crazy revisions in the Appraisal Independence Act, trying to um, sort of work appraisals. We don't, 
I kind of cringe when somebody from Texas is reviewing oh, our appraisal. From and, from another city in California. Um, I actually really enjoy when it's a local eye that's looking at the appraisal. Because as you well know, a, a simple block from Grover to Oceano can have a pretty big impact. And, and you couldn't really understand the nature of the Los Osos bedroom I was going to say, from one block relates. to another in Los Osos yeah. is, has a completely different feel. Yeah. yeah, you could go, yeah, at any rate. It's kind of funny. It's also kind of sad. Um, but, again, this is one more reason why people should wake up and realize that you can support with your dollar um, by not – patronizing companies like this that have such abusive practices all right jay so the the big the big question interest rates we saw a little bit of relief this last week where are they going from here keep going down um i think next week we'll be chatting on the show i expect to see the 10-year fall a little bit more um, last week we had some light trading activity so it was kind of low volume improvements we saw mortgages actually improve on a day where the bond market had a little bit more sell-off. And I do, I expect that um, we're already seeing, I already saw it talked about yesterday on Bloomberg, but those very sellers in the last week of June are now buyers here in the second week of July. And with that increased demand is going to come some lower yields. And I think we're going to see rates go with it. Um, so I, I do, that's my prediction. And we'll, we'll be sure to talk about that next week on the show. Guys, if you are needing any help at all to get qualified for a purchase um, or if you have a refinance that you need help with, give us a call. We're at 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. You may also find us on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you to Mary McNally. We'll find you next week here at the same place, 10 to noon, Mortgage Matters.